Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons. I'm joined by Martha Gill and Paul Waugh. This week, Big Phil Hammond delivered his first statement, autumn statement. It was also his last because he scrapped them. Here's the Chancellor telling a couple of jokes in the Commons. Mr Speaker, I want to pay tribute to my predecessor, my right honourable friend, the member for Tatton. My style, uh, Mr Speaker, will of course be different from his. Uh, I suspect that I will prove no more adept at pulling rabbits from hats than my successor as Foreign Secretary has been at retrieving balls from the back of scrums. But my focus... So, Paul, what are the kind of headlines from from this week's statement? What are the big things he announced that we should care about? Well, the headline he wanted to talk about was the fact that actually he was helping the just about managings, because that's what number 10 wanted him to say. So he was, you know, giving them little sweetness here and there, you know, extra road building. I mean, there was a £23 billion uh, productivity fund, as he badged it, which he puts together more housing, more road building, all this stuff. Mm. It was quite a gimmick to call it a productivity fund. (laughs) It's the first time ever you've called investment in housing productivity but anyway it meant they had this sort of mini Keynesian sort of stimulus very unusual for a Tory um, but the big big story was actually Brexit and he couldn't get away from the fact that there was the case the, the Office of Budget Responsibility had these you know blood-curdling figures about uh, you're going to need to borrow more than 122 billion extra over five years and within that the cause of that a big chunk of that is 58 billion that would be needed purely because of Brexit. Hmm. Now, that obviously was the takeaway from from the whole day. And he had to cope over successive days, obviously, um, with the fallout from it. But Brexit was the big, big issue. And the, the kind of Brexiteers didn't put that on their bus, did they? And they, and they decided to, to come after... Come after the OBR and say, oh, well, you know, their forecasts are always wrong and well, you know, yeah. they've been talking down the economy. And Absolutely. And- but the, the, I think the key thing was this line that Hammond came out with at the Tory party conference just a few weeks ago. He said the British people didn't vote on June 23rd to become poorer. Now, what was really interesting about that quote was it's not so much about the British people. It's about Philip Hammond, how he interprets Brexit. And he Mm. thinks that's a really strong hint that I want as soft as Brexit as possible. I don't want to make people poor. I don't want to lose all this trade. And yet, at the end of the day, there's a lot of Eurosceptics, actually, who say, well, actually, we can handle being a bit poorer for a bit. We don't mind that. It's the key thing is freedom. We're free of Brussels. And it's a price worth paying. It comes back to the same sort of argument, what the referendum result means, doesn't it? I mean, if you listen to Theresa May, she talks about very much, you know, it meant cutting immigration. That's yeah. how she seems to think. Exactly. A lot of the, the, and she was a Remainer. The Brexiteers think that's what it's about. And Hammond's saying, no, no, no. Like you said, they yeah. didn't mean that at all. It meant what I think it means. And that's the main sort of fault line, it seems, is uh, analysing what they actually people Yeah, and for. that's why, because he's Chancellor, it really matters. Because, you know, we... It, it, 
this whole idea that people didn't vote to become poorer, and yet a large chunk of people within the cabinet and within the Tory government think, actually, if we have a clean Brexit, a hard Brexit, and a lot of the Europeans are saying that now overnight as well. You've got Joseph Muscat mm. from Malta, and a lot of Europeans saying, actually, it's either hard Brexit or nothing. They're in this, on the same page as a lot of the Eurosceptics. And the people in the middle, people like Hammond and Greg Clark and others, who are trying to desperately, and even some Remainers, trying to say, no, we can have this thing called soft Brexit. We can kind of try and make it work. Actually, maybe the logic is that you do just opt out of the single market mm. to have those migration I think um, t- uh, David Gork, who's Chief Secretary, was on Question Time last night, and he was Dimbleby kept asking him, you know, um, did Brexit make us poorer? And he didn't quite want to say yes, because he knows that's only a headline, but he essentially was just saying yes, that's what's <laughs> happened. <laughs> well, that, that's why the OBR... But in is a very kind of David Gork kind of way. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The OBR is an independent forecaster. This is a new thing that, that George Osborne created, don't forget, precisely to get them off the hook of saying, well, actually, these aren't our figures, these are someone mm. else's figures. Now... That, in turn, created a sort of backlash this week by a lot of Tory Eurosceptics saying, actually, they've got it wrong before. You know, Jacob Rees-Mogg saying these guys are soothsayers, they're not really economists, there are lunatic, lunatic assumptions in what they've been saying. And, you know, people like the Daily Mail pointing out that Robert Choate, who runs the OBR, was a, quotes, Lib Dem sympathiser and a creature <laughs> of George Osborne. And I know we're living in a post-expert world, but it's quite extraordinary to see that attack. And it was really interesting the way that has never happened before those attacks on an independent body but also don't forget just imagine if these were the treasury figures and there was no such thing as an OBR just imagine if the treasury the chancellor had gone to the house and said we're going to be 58 billion pounds poorer because of Brexit Mm. because my department says so imagine the cabinet around that would have followed you you could have had people resigning people like David Davis and Liam Fox saying this is a disgrace this is treasury you know the the old orthodoxy coming out and undermining the people that's interesting it's quite in a way it's sort of the fact the OBR is independent means they can uh, avoid a proper row because they can and have their fight, but not with each other. They, they have a proxy row, but with these so-called I mean, establishment. And there's so many, Martha. Experts. There's so many of these sort of, um, you know, these soothsayers predicting how bad everything is. Was mm. it the Resolution Foundation uh, report? That, that said we're kind of screwed. Yeah, the, the Resolution Foundation uh, found particularly that, that that bottom third of earners, the jams that Theresa May was so keen to say that she was helping, would actually uh, really lose out and that, that, that wage growth is going to be um, worse than we've seen since you know the 1900s, <laughs> like, the, <laughs> like that that day. Yeah, sounds excellent because the same as the, the IFS had their big report. You know they they have 24 hours where they get the budget or the statement in. Yeah, turn it around overnight and then educate everyone about what actually happened and what it all means and yeah. we sit there pretending to understand. And they were beaten this year by the Resolution Foundation were, yes. who actually did stay up until 3am there guys <laughs> I was told and produce something early morning so oh. it's really interesting that arms race between those two well, the think IFS tanks. Sort it out, don't they, then? But it's the IFS always have this sort of status and which it, is why all the, all the yeah, front pages the following day did the IFS story. And the kind of the big headline from them wasn't it was saying you know it means no rise in wages by the wages will be this below what, 2008 levels by mm. 2021 yeah. which, which is, is which which is unprecedented. And I think they said it was the worst situation for 70, maybe even 100 years. When you get these, um, the speech from Paul Johnson, who, who runs the IFS or the director of IFS, you have sort of half an hour to think, right, what what's, what are they trying to say here? What's the, the main story? And they don't hide it. You know, if you're a kind of very dry economic think tank, when you have a sentence that says, this is dreadful, yeah. you, they're not, you know what they're saying. Mm. Yeah. They know that's the thing that they really want to hammer home. Mm. Yeah. And particularly the 
particular graph in the IFS report that I thought was interesting, maybe for, for HuffPost readers particularly, was how much the young have been damaged. Yeah. It, I think it shows that since 2008 to 2014, people between the age of 22 and 30 have seen their living standards or wages fall by 7%, but people who are over 60 have seen an increase by 11%. Yeah. And it didn't see much sign of that closing only getting worse and worse and worse. And I think that that dynamic's definitely going to be kind of an underlying cause for a lot of this political dis- dissatisfaction because even if things are getting better for some people, the younger people, it's not... It's I know, not it's, it, and it's it's an issue that I think Theresa May has sort of missed a trick on. I mean, talking mm. about just about managing is one thing. I know that she thinks these are the people who vote, and they do vote in marginal seats, and they're important. But, you know, if you're trying to sort of future-proof your own party, you've got to try and address that gap between the generations. And maybe that's why there was a hint about pensions. We'll come on to that mm. later. But I think and when it comes to the IFS, what was significant was the backlash today against the IFS, front page of the Daily Mail, you know, these guys, these doomsayers, a lot of Tory MPs having a go, not just at the OBR, the independent OBR, but the independent IFS. And you can see they've got this narrative. It's a bit like America, the anti-expert narrative. And that you don't forget the people who worked at the IFS have been, for example, you know, Andrew Dillnot, who now runs the UK Statistics Authority. Mm. You've got Robert Choate, who's gone from the IFS to the mm. OBR. You've got people like Stephanie Flanders and Evan Davis. You've got people like Chris Giles on the FT, people like even Rupert Harrison, who used to work for George Osborne yeah. as, his, as his economic brain. So you can see there is a co- almost conspiracy theory. These IFS sleeper cells are everywhere <laughs> in Britain. <laughs> and they're the real establishment. And that's exactly why we need to hit back at them. You can just imagine it, can't you? And it, it's interesting that it, this has carried on. I think if you remember during the referendum campaign, there was this worry, you know, all the, the bashing of the Treasury and the, the kind of great institutions of the British state, by the mainly by the Brexiteer side, this worry that, you know, once the referendum's over... How do you come back together again? Why would British people ever mm. trust what the Treasury says ever again? Mm. Or, or whoever it is, whatever government department or, or body. But the fact this is continuing, that the Brexit is not, OK, we did that, we won. Now let's row back and start being more how we were. They're continuing this, like you said, attack on the establishment because they can and it, it kind of helps them, doesn't it? It's just curious. I mean, Martha, you, you, we all saw the, the optics of, of Philip Hammond the night before. There was this picture released, wasn't there? He was having a cup of tea. Um, <laughs> and it, th- yes, just leaning casually against the radiator in his office. It exactly. Was, yeah. And it was kind of so deliberately an attempt to say, right, I'm not George Osborne. I'm not eating a Byron burger the night before. <laughs> and, and, and I have to say that some, of, pilot some of that works. There's no question some of that works. And I think that actually, if you're at home, you, you, people are bored of the Osborne and the flashiness and the Gordon Brown stuff. And I think there is a, a need for that kind of um, boring bank manager stuff, which Philip Hammond's pretty good at. Um, and because he was seen as so boring, the fact that he was sort of a bit funny. Yeah. Suddenly everyone's like, yeah. Philip, big Phil Hammond, this comedy <laughs> genius. Yeah. <laughs> you come from quite a low bar, don't you? I think Absolutely. But I oh, think that could actually work in their favour. Yeah. Um, and one we'll thing see. I think we should talk about as well is what wasn't in it. Um, more particularly, there was no mention of the NHS, which got a lot of people quite exercised. I mean, yeah, Labour were getting um, kind of very angry about yeah. this. Uh, yeah, it, the, the NHS is heading for a, a massive financial crunch. Mm. Uh, the, the, the government being attacked on sort of uh, misrepresenting their, their figures. Uh, they say they're giving a lot of funding, which they're not... Uh, 
necessarily been shown to be doing and uh, and and they didn't mention it at all in the in the entire 72 page document it was which curious was quite mission, why do we think that was i mean was uh, the, 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 to say i think or? the belief is now that actually they're going to have to do something at some point later but they didn't have it was too soon for them to work out a big new settlement for the nhs the, jeremy hunt definitely lobbied for money there's no question about that behind the scenes but there was this line one of the most important lines in the entire hour of of boring sort of Philip Hammond at his most, you know, <laughs> deliberately dull, was this line where he said, he talked about the pension lock, which is this thing which means that old age pensioners have a state pension which is guaranteed and there's it's got this triple lock it's called which means it can't be unpicked mm. you it rises not just with inflation but with earnings really really important and he said well we're talking about the pension lock and then he had a but but as we look ahead to the next parliament we will need to ensure we tackle the challenge of rising longevity and fiscal st- sustainability now rising longevity people are getting older fiscal sustainability can we afford mm. it and there was a clear hint there that that was this pension lock might be unpicked because it's very very expensive after the next election whenever that may be yeah. now um the interesting two things that one is labor had its own reaction to that which john mcdonald was very very firmly and rebecca long bailey the shadow chief secretary very firmly against it saying look this is a social contract with the people you promised them this money these pensioners you'd be outrageous to tear it up so you can imagine at the next election that will be one of labor's big bazookas although there is a debate within labor about whether that's shrewd politics or economics because they can see this enormous demographic mm. problem coming down the line as well and maybe the Tories have given them an out by looking at this. Particularly um, kind of Jeremy Corbyn, which is he's focused so much on the idea of kind of the youth movement and looking Mm. after young people. If if you make that a big central part of your your case, if you then do the one thing that perhaps will annoy young voters quite a bit, it'd be quite hard to uh, to, to balance that, wouldn't it? I mean, young people probably don't believe that this triple lock will last in any case until mm. they get to that age well, you've, got this, point, yeah. you've got it, this you've got this millennial from generation paying for the pensions as you say losing out twice both from the financial crash and from brexit and then reaching their old age and not having the same benefits as, as their grandparents and parents yeah have. and i wonder how many young people who actually think they'll get to an age they actually get a pension i think that's kind of a real thing that a lot of people think yeah i mean lots of young people we don't necessarily mean people who are we don't mean people who are 16 we mean people who are in their mid late 20s yeah who are thinking you know is this ever going to be ever going to be us i know and that's why i mean the, the separate issue for them is not just worrying about their pensions in the long term but worrying about you know caring for or paying for their grandparents and parents in their old age and even themselves one day Mm. and this is why this whole issue of social care is an enormous enormous problem and you're right Martha it wasn't mentioned at all in the in the autumn statement as as I say I think that's because it was such a big issue they know they need to go back and they know they're going to do some proper work on it but that hint again what was interesting that line from from Hammond about longevity and fiscal sustainability what was interesting was that the some senior government sources were briefing that that may mean an end to NHS ring fencing, protecting the NHS mm. budget. Now, in one way, it's that could be sensible because it means that this Chinese war between the NHS and social care disappears. And why why should you not lump them all together and mm. have a bigger budget? Uh, but in another way, it's slightly worrying for people in the Department of Health who hadn't been spinning this line and were unaware of it. Uh, and whether or not that's actually a threat to their budget. It's it's going to be, again, for Labour and for the Tories, that will be a big issue in any general election. That one line in yeah. the entire speech has so many implications for the NHS, for pensions. It's it's 
they're, they're to be unpicked. We were talking about kind of establishment figures or bodies in this country. One of the most anti-establishment figures, in a way, is Nigel Farage. <laughs> he was uh, holding a victory party this week in the Ritz with uh, lots of kind of... Very Yeah, exactly. Um, well, just before we talk about him, let's play a clip of him addressing the, the, the dignitaries um, the other day. You know, for those of us that thought it and felt it and believed it and prayed for it, was that not just the most amazing evening in the history of life? I, I, I still remember coming here for breakfast the next morning at seven o'clock to celebrate with champagne and kippers. And my God, wasn't that the right thing to do? Uh, it, 2016, when people look back in 100 years, 200 years, 2016 will stand out as one of those great historic years. It's the year of the big political revolution. And there are a lot of people in this room who fought hard over years to make Brexit happen. And Brexit was the first brick knocked out of the establishment wall. And then what we got on November the 8th. <laughs> with the election of the Donald was something of a completely different order. Um, for those that are here that um, aren't particularly happy with what's happened in 2016, I've got some really bad news for you. <laughs> it's going to get a bloody sight worse next year. <laughs> Isn't it funny? We're all portrayed as being old and angry and negative. And yet a poll after the referendum of UKIP supporters showed 86% of UKIP supporters thought this country now, post-Brexit, had a great future. And we do. We do. We do. So Farage, you know, man of the people there, what, what's he up to? He's, he's fleeing the country, he's not leaving the country. What's going on? <laughs> well, the Times had this great story um, that he, uh, f some of his friends were saying he was preparing to go and uh, move to America, thus becoming an economic uh, <laughs> migrant. Um, uh, we don't know yet, but but it does seem that he's he's certainly trying to get in there with with the Trump uh, administration and, and uh, has sort of suggested various comedy roles that he could do like <laughs> ambassador to Europe uh, he's offered his services to the British government uh, to, to be an ambassador to America they've they've slapped, <laughs> they've slapped that idea down well, it's quite smartly that Farage has dominated the week in many ways yeah. hasn't he Be before the autumn statement he, he's continued he dominated it last week he's dominated it this week I mean obviously he had the helping hand the huge <laughs> bellows put under it by Don Donald Trump himself tweeting that you know yeah. He'd be a very good choice as ambassador. Now we've forgotten that was only a few days ago. That was at the beginning of this week, but it was a big deal. And the Foreign Office were obviously really, really upset, and the diplomatic service, you know, this massive breach of protocol. But it just goes to show that the rules have all been changed. So you know, normal rules do not apply under Brexit or under post-Trump world. And there's no question coming back to Farage he's done his job you know he's he's done what he wanted mm. which is get Brexit and you can't can't blame him for wanting to sort of make a few bob and have an easier life on the, on the on the east coast of America I suppose but it shows that he because he's dominated this week 
he's not as toxic as everyone thinks he is. You know, during the referendum campaign, everyone kept thinking, oh, well, Farage is toxic. He turns a lot of voters off, and he does. But for a significant proportion of the public, he's a vote winner, not a, not a vote de um, deterrer. And... You know, that whole question of how toxic or not he is um, is going is gonna to dominate UKIP next week, who are, we haven't said this yet, but are almost mm. certainly going to choose Paul Nuttall as their new leader. And if, if Farage is in the background as a backseat driver, occasionally coming back to make the odd point to keep the government honest on Brexit, that won't harm UKIP. And at the same time, Nuttall will really hit Labour hard in the Northern Seas. If you're Nuttall, do you want, um, assuming Paul Nuttall does win, do you want Nigel Farage to still be around to help in that way, or do you want do you want him to go to America? If you, do you want him to say, you know, okay, go away now. You, well, it's I think my that, party now. I think that's why him going to America is perfect for for, for not all. He can go away. He can actually strengthens the, the, the ties between UKIP, that's the only British party with any close in with the, with the new Trump administration, <laughs> which is extraordinary. <laughs> more, more ties than the Tory party. And so you, you get him doing all that sort of outreach work while relaxing. And let's be honest, there's a personal bit to this as well. Farage and his family, you know, are sick of the attention here. And, and uh, don't underestimate the personal bit in all politics. And I think that that was helped drive him abroad. Did you say Nigel Farage was sick of the attention? <laughs> well, <laughs> His family was sick of the attention, I think. Um, and But also, from Nuttall's point of view, him coming back now and again isn't a bad thing because Farage is box office in amongst a lot of UKIP supporters, particularly in the south. Nuttall's going to really work on the north, mm. there's no question. And it'll be interesting. But, you know, he's, he's not the only toxic former leader who's around right now, is he? <laughs> Blair's back. Yes. Is, we always say Blair's mm. back, but he's always back. Like he's back <laughs> every one, once a week for the last year, hasn't he? So Yeah, every uh, single headline is as he... Marks his return to, <laughs> to politics. Yeah. It's a comeback uh, for real this time. <laughs> and what's, what did he say in this interview? The new statesman oh, is his, his latest. He said a number of things, but I think the most interesting was, or the one, one that everyone used as a headline, was that Brexit could be stopped. You know, if the British people decide this isn't right, once they realise all the economic pain that's coming their way, uh, we could we could stop this. Um, do you think he? Because do you think he genuinely thinks he can have a a, a role in? in whether stopping Brexit or well, even it goes through in having this kind of... He talks about, doesn't he, like this kind of people who don't have a political home. It, the suggestion being he could be that home. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, do you think yeah, I mean, that's what everyone wants, isn't it? The people To get the people who don't haven't decided on their party yeah. to follow them. That certainly sounds like a return to sort of politics proper. But then what he, he sort of said wishy-washy things like, I want to create a space to debate like where Western democracy is going. <laughs> uh, yeah. But if I do anything more specific, the media will, will hound me. So it, I mean, he, I think he he's aware he of the fact of his limitations. A rock and a hard place, doesn't he? He knows the media attention is so focused on his own toxic past that that he can't be some sort of figurehead. And there was talk that Alan Milburn actually would be a better figurehead for this movement because he's much less toxic. And he's you know he does the Social Mobility Commission. He works with the Tories. You could get a sort of cross-party agreement. But the, just, the thing is, the Blair thing. We don't know what this thing is. It's it's not a think tank. We don't think it's not a political party. It's some sort of movement of some kind, and what does that mean? And also, I just—I think there's a good story in the in standard about how we'd met with Clegg as well. Yeah. I, I just—I mm -hmm. don't see whether you agree with—you might agree with Blair and that kind of centrist politics. But mm. I, I simply don't see how Tony Blair, Alan Milburn, and Nick Clegg 
kind of create a new movement yeah. or, or even attract people back to them. Because there are all kinds of people trying to start up this very same movement, which is a sort of centrist mm. move, kind of anti-Brexit movement. And you've seen that um, within the Tory party with people like Anna Subri and it, they're, they're all trying to sort of come together in a cross-party way. But nothing, you can't see people being mobilised in the same way as they've been you know, mobilised exactly. by the movements on the left and the mm. right. Uh, I don't know whether it, maybe that's intrinsic to the cent- being centre centrist that you don't kind of get out there <laughs> yeah, in rallies it's, it's and yeah, be regularly passionately moderate isn't isn't, <laughs> isn't that easy is it really? Although, I mean Merkel's doing all right with her. What's her? I think her slogan is you know the centre essentially isn't it? Yeah, but it's a very yeah. different situation obviously there than here. Yeah, completely. Um, but she's I mean Tony Blair's not the only one. Obviously you've got John Major popping up for another former PM. <laughs> and but I, I thought that was interesting in this speech he gave at the National Liberal Club, you know, mm. home of the Liberals. Um, and it was in honour of David Lloyd George and you know in the Q&A and in his speech him suggesting that actually there could be another there could be a second referendum on Europe and very similar to Tony Blair and someone who former premier former statesman been around the block a long time don't forget Major was PM for seven years that's a long time Um, longer than a certain D Cameron I might point out Um, and you know these people former prime ministers what role do they have they, and they're all relatively young, don't forget. Yeah. Obama's going to have this problem as well. What do you do next? And it's a real problem. In the old days, you were PM in your you know, 60s, 70s, and that was the end of your career. These guys have got a lot of energy, a lot of ability, a lot of experience. What do they do next? And the problem is finding that role. Um, Major was interesting, I thought, in that particular speech, because... Don't forget, he's a boy from Brixton. He grew up in Brixton. A lot of ethnic minorities around him and really good friends of his. And he's been passionately pro-immigration all his life. Mm. And he fundamentally disagrees with Theresa May on the benefits of immigration. He thinks there are real benefits. I thought that was the most interesting thing he said. And it underlines, you know, why he felt that he was a Remainer. But I think he accepts that, you know... The, he, that he lost the argument but what he's trying to say and what Blair's trying to say is we can shape this Brexit to make it perhaps less harsh mm. um, whether or not Parliament will do that I don't know it's the big question Should we do a quiz? Go on It's, uh, it's called Stop Hammond Time Ooh. and it's about, uh, it's about Chancellors so um, in his kind of you know his introduction to his autumn statement he paid tribute to George Osborne who was a Chancellor for quite a long time Osborne was Chancellor for 2,255 days I'm going to give you some chancellors' names. Ah. I want to know if they served for longer than George Osborne mm-hmm. or, for, or for less time than George yeah. Osborne. Do we get a Noah Bennett-style choice I, I don't of have a headline. clever, clever <laughs> thing. I'm not very good at that. Chancellor more or Hand chancellor off. less? Yeah, that's what, good. Okay, we're doing what, what Marcia said. So <laughs> what she said. Ch- chancellor more if they served longer, <laughs> chancellor less if, if, it was, if it was less time. Okay, so start off with, I think this is an easy one. It's uh, Gordon Brown. Definitely longer. Yeah. 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 He was 3,788. He was the longest serving Chancellor of the UK. Okay. How about David Lloyd George? Ooh. Mm. A, um, a shorter than, Chancellor than, than Osborne. Osborne's, yeah. Got to use the right words, Paul. Sorry, Chancellor Chancellor No longer. Um, 2,599. How many oh. more days is that? Oh, I'm not going to pretend I can actually do, do sums. No, but <laughs> you can calculate it at home. That's really interesting. Yeah, mm. so um, just a bit longer then. Okay, how about um, ooh, Neville Chamberlain? Um, Chancellor Less. Chancellor Less, Martha says. Mm. 
I think less, yeah. Uh, it was less, yeah. It was 2031. But he was Chancellor more than once. Right. So I think maybe if you add them up, it's longer. I don't, oh, right. I didn't, I didn't no. actually look that figure up. So <laughs> you weren't working in the sh- Treasury. should have done that. Okay, and then we'll do uh, one more. How about Dennis Healy? Ooh, Dennis Healy. God, I have shorter, no idea. I'm going to say longer. Shorter because he replaced Callahan. Uh, Jenkins Callahan. He was. It was. It was when he became Chancellor when Callahan took over. So it wasn't the entire Parliament. So I'm going to say less. I'm going to say more to give it some jeopardy. Even <laughs> though I can see that you're <laughs> nodding at Paul. <laughs> I mean, all that sounds very clever. So he's definitely right, isn't he? Yeah. It was less. It was 1,886 days. Excellent. And I think that's enough of that quiz. And also this week's <laughs> podcast. See you next week, guys. <laughs> bye bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.